peacemaking. We're visiting a home and uh, these folk, we'll call them Charlie and uh, Henrietta. And uh, Henrietta was English and Charlie or Carlo was Italian. And they married. They're university graduates and initially they got on well as husband and wife until their son was born. And Charlie thought that they should have Italian nappies for their son. Henrietta said, no, English. If you have Italian ones, he'll be bow-legged. <laughs> now we're visiting, and they're arguing about what sort of nappies they ought to have. The next minute, one of them pick up a long knife. Now I wasn't sure if we are going to be witnesses to a murder or what. But conflict. Now it sounds stupid on the outside because Italians are no more bow-legged than English people regardless of what sort of nappies you have. But you see they both wanted what was best for their son. And they both imagined that their idea was better than their spouse's. And so of course there's conflict. Now we live in a culture or in a world of opposing cultures the world doesn't deal well with conflict. But the Christians meant to live in a world of peace. We live in a world where society is very selfish and self-centred. The Christians meant to live in a world which is characterised by love of God. Too often Christians resort to the way that the world handles conflict. Instead of that we're meant to love our neighbour as ourselves. We can follow the devil's advice or we can follow biblical principles. This couple aren't getting along very well and so they go to see a divorce mediation person. The wife says, okay, win-win's okay if I win twice. And maybe that's how you feel. Conflict exists in every level, whether it's in our homes, in our churches, in our workplace, between parents and children, children and parents. So I want to read the passage that we've had today again and to think about what God is saying to us. But first of all, James says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now would that be true of you? Are you a peacemaker? Do you sow peace? Or you're a person who creates discord because of your attitude? your words. Ephesians says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There will be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Christ, who is the head. Christ's prayer was that we might be one. Now, I'm not too sure how many nationalities are represented here today, 
but I had the unfortunate lot to be born in New Zealand. So I'm a Kiwi. But I married an Aussie, so I did the next best thing. But as I look around, there are different nationalities. I'm not too sure if any of you came by boat to Australia. I came by aeroplane. But regardless of our ethnic backgrounds, this is what Jesus prayed, that we might be one as believers. In our passage today, it says that Christ made peace. Now, often we think about the cross of Christ. That's not something that we highlight. That actually made peace by the blood of his Christ. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Too often when we have arguments and discord and dissension, we're not committed to resolving that biblically. We resort to other means and other methods rather than following what Scripture says. Now, Scripture says, if I have an issue with you, I'm not to tell the world, I'm to go to that person individually. Now, how many of us follow that advice? How many of us as a married couple and things aren't going the way that we expect the wife will often ring up her mum and complain about her husband because of what he's not doing instead of talking to him. That's not biblical. Or the guy might go off down to his mates at work and complain about his wife but not talk to her. That's not biblical. So how biblical, how Christian are you in the way that you handle disagreements, discord, being upset, etc. Corinthians says, whatever you, what, so, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I was at an AGM in Sydney when we lived there, and uh, things were getting rather heated between some different parties. The man by the name of Mr. Tom Carson said, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, we should remember that we're Christians. And that changed that meeting. We should remember that we're Christians. So what does it mean to bring glory to God? It means that through the way that we act and react, we highlight Characteristics about God for which we are thankful. In other words, we reflect something of God's character in the way that we respond. So in terms of peacemaking, there's three things that I want to highlight today. First of all, the way that we handle it, does it glorify God? Does it honour God? Does it reflect God in the way that we respond? Does it serve others and their interests? And in what way does it reflect that we are more like Christ? We've had this passage read to us today, so I think we'll skip that. So these three things, glorifying God, serving others, and becoming like Jesus. Now it's interesting at the church at Ephesus, notice what the passage said. 
you've got two factions in this church. You've got the non-Jews who are called uncircumcised. You've got the Jews who said, we are the circumcision. So they're proud of that. The non-Jews are separated from Christ. They're excluded from citizenship in Israel. They're foreigners to the promises God made to Abraham and Isaac. They're described as those without hope and without God. So there's this division. There's these two factions. And this is being highlighted of what was true in that church. Now if you've ever visited Ephesus or if you're part of the growing nomads who actually go on a Mediterranean cruise, you'll often stop at Ephesus. There's a church there called the Church of St. John. It was one of the centres for one of the early um, church councils. They were discussing how do we understand the person and work of Christ? Was he truly God or not? Was he truly man or not, etc.? Now the debate got so heated one of the folk murdered somebody on the opposite side in that church. Yeah, they wanted to get it right. And the issue was pretty important of how we understand the Lord Jesus. And so these folk are certainly worked up about their perspective. But believe it or not, one commits murder. Interesting. Yeah, notice what Christ achieved through the cross. He said, you who are far away have been brought near, that Christ is our peace. That he made two groups one. Now, if we were not Christians, I doubt that this group of us would meet together like this. It's because we're believers that we're actually here today. So we're thrown together from our diversity of backgrounds and nationalities. But notice that Jesus destroyed the barrier that are between people and the dividing ward of hostility. Now us Kiwis like playing the Aussies at rugby union because we usually can beat them. We do a harker to start off to put the fear of whoever into them and so on. The wall of hostility and it's there on the playing field. But also Christ set aside the law that would damn each of us and created one new body of people, the church. That's us. Now I'm not too sure what divides folk at Monty. But there must be issues here in this church that divide you. Different perspectives. So it's you versus us, whoever they are. So some want the living Bible. And somebody said, no, 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 we have to have the King James. It's authorised, actually by the King, not God. Someone says, no, no, we need to sing new songs. And the person said, no, 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 we have to have the old hymns. They have stood the test of time. Somebody says, I like the songs put up on the screen. Someone said, no, 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 we should have hymn books. Someone says, no, no, we want a mini orchestra, like we had this morning. Someone said, no, 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 we should only have the piano and the organ. Some of them said, oh, we shop on Sunday. Others said, uh-uh, you don't shop on Sundays. Some of them want to vote green. The others want to vote liberal and national. So these things divide us. Now, I have no idea what your issues are as a church, but there'll be issues here, at least under the surface, different perspectives. 
and we can hang out for our perspective, so it creates unease and dissension and division. To the point that we say, bother this, I'm going to go to another church. I'm not going to go to church at all. So, Christ is our peace. He made peace. He came and preached peace to us. And he put to death that hostility. So we're not foreigners and strangers. We're fellow citizens with God's people. We're members of God's household. So we might become a holy temple. Believe it or not, as a collective group of people, we form a temple in which God dwells. So God is here. He lives amongst us as well as in us. We belong to the same household. So how do we respond to conflict? Well, you can be like King Saul, and uh, he has been defeated by the Philistines. So he decides the best thing is to commit suicide, which he does. Now, that's rather drastic, but that's how some folk deal with conflict. And those who attempt to take their lives, it's a cry for help. Judas decided to end his life. And it's a sad place to be. And in our town here, we actually have Beyond Blue, where you can phone and get help if that's how desperate you feel. But others, they just run away. Jacob and Esau were twins, and they were both strong men. And through the mother's deception, Jacob cheats his brother out of his father's blessing. And the mother knows that if these two boys meet again, they'll kill each other. So she says to Jacob, you run off down the road to your uncle Laban. And so he does. Now that's how some of us deal with conflict. We just get out of it. It means we might run away from a marriage, hand in our notice at work, or whatever. Move into state. So we run away. It might be that we run away through drinking, taking drugs, whatever. But it's an escape. Or we may deal with conflict by denial that it's not actually happening. Our parents are good at this, pretending that something is not really there, you know. Their kids are are the best kids out. Now Samuel was was a weak dad. Now he's a prophet. He works at the temple. But his boys were rascals. They turned the temple into a red light district. And dad won't do a thing. He won't rebuke them, he won't discipline them, nothing. He just pretends it's not happening. Or you take David. He had a wife already, but he sees somebody else's wife, and he pinches her. And he pretends for at least a couple of years that he hasn't done anything wrong. He arranges for Bathsheba's husband to get murdered, to cover up, deny. And people still do that. 
They're ostriches. They just pretend it's not happening. It's not real. And that doesn't solve anything. It doesn't resolve anything. All it does is drive it underground. Well, then there are other responses. We can assault a person, attack a person, verbally, emotionally. Now, we had a niece who was married to a person who um, was great at emotional, verbal abuse, but also physical, until in the end she was too scared to go home. Now, they were both Christians. Assault doesn't have to be physical violence. You can take all sorts of other forms. The religious leaders, they were not happy with Peter and John and so they take them and they whip them and they beat them and put them in prison and so on to try and silence them. And sadly, there's still folk today who resort to some sort of assault in a way of handling conflict. Well, then there's litigation, taking a person to court. There was this guy who worked for a Christian boss and the boss was... um, less than Christian in the way that he ran the workplace. This guy was very, very conscientious and um, there were things going on at work and in the end he joined in with the other employees about criticising the boss, running him down. And then he drew a cartoon about the boss that showed what sort of a monster he was. And as he was showing it to his fellow employees, the boss walked in and wanted to know what was in his hand. And the boss took it and realised that this guy had actually drawn the cartoon and fired him on the spot. So he goes home from work and he's mighty upset. Tells his wife what's happened. She says, I'm going to take him to court for unlawful dismissal. Now he's a Christian. The boss is a Christian. Is that what he should do? Well, he rang up one of the elders of the church and complained about what had happened and how he was going to take this fellow to, to court. And the guy said, look, I'll come round and visit. So round he goes and he says, listen, before you go to court, there's a couple of verses I think you should read from the Bible because you're a Christian and he's a Christian. So he got him to read the verses of Matthew, Matthew 18, which says, if you've got agreements against your brother, go and talk to him. The guy says, talk to him, that's a stupid idea. He won't listen. Well, he says, the Bible says you're to go. So he gave him a couple of other verses to read, and he said, before you go and ring up a lawyer, I want you to read these verses on your knees tonight. Well, come night time, and he was far, far too angry to worry about kneeling down and praying about it, so he goes to bed angry. The next day he thinks, well, maybe I just should read those verses, which he does. So he thinks, God, I can't go and talk to this guy. If I go, I might say all sorts of things I shouldn't. But in the end he does go. He says to his boss, look, he says, I'm sorry, I should not have drawn that cartoon. I was wrong. And he says, I drew it because of the way you treat us as employees. And so they talked about it. And the boss says, he said, in all my life, nobody's ever confronted me with my behaviour. 
And I was wrong. So they knelt down together and forgave each other. Then the boss says, do you want to drop your um, job back? And he says, no, he says, I don't. He says, I don't think so. He says, my parents live in another town and they need help, so we're going to move. But thanks anyhow. Or we may resort to murder. Stephen was talking to the religious hierarchy and they got so angry with him, in the end they blocked their ears, take him outside of Jerusalem and stone him to death. Attack responses. How do you respond to conflict in your life and in your church? Well, what are peacemaking ones that the Christian should pursue? Well, we can choose to overlook a fault. First Peter talks about love covers a multitude of sins. And sometimes that's the correct response to have. If you've ever been to a parent-teacher night and the teacher starts criticising your kid, what do you do? You go to the kid's defence, don't you? Now, what the teacher said may be true, but as a parent, you want to cover that up because you love the kid. You hate to think that the teacher knows about your kids the same as what you know. So love can cover a multitude of sins. Or there can be reconciliation. To be truly reconciled requires confession. We live in two-way streets. No one person is all to blame for a particular situation. You take Charlie and his wife, arguing about what nappies the kids should wear. They were both wrong in the way that they were acting and speaking. And certainly things got way out of control. Now for that to be resolved, both of them would have to say, I'm sorry to each other. I'm wrong. And then sometimes there needs to be loving correction. Like that guy going to his boss and saying, look, you know, I was wrong, but you're behaving in a way that a Christian boss shouldn't. The need for forgiveness. Philippians 2 talks about, in a church context, where two ladies are involved in the church and in ministry just cannot get along with each other and they need help to get together. Now you take Jacob and Esau, these two twins. So Jacob had fled, he'd gone for years and years and in the end God says to him, you've got to go back home and he is frightened out of his wits and he's a softy and so the night before they were to meet and Esau heard that he was coming you know he um, has this wrestling match with God and uh, <coughs> before the morning comes the wrestling match he was touched in his hip and from then on he always limped he lost some of his strength well, the next morning he divides all his entourage up. So he sends ahead sheep and goats and camels and cattle and so on and his um, wives and kids all in front of him and he's at the back because he's scared. And in the end, these two boys meet. Now Esau came with some of his men who were armed to the teeth 
But the scripture says, <coughs> Esau ran to meet Jacob, embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and wept. Jacob said, to see your face is to see the face of God now that you've received me favorably. See, the night before he wrestled with God, because of the way that Esau responded, he saw in that action God. In other words, Esau reflected to Jacob the way that God receives us. So that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So we have to ask ourselves in the way that we respond to conflict and disagreement, do we reflect back the face of God to the person that we're upset with or is upset with us? What are we reflecting, mirroring back to that person? What are we saying? Now sometimes we need help. Matthew 18 talks about the need for help. If I can't sort out what I need to sort out with a person, it says go and get somebody else who's also aware of the situation to come and help you and work it out. 1 Corinthians 6 criticizes these folk who want to take somebody to church, to court and God is saying to them, listen, you ought to be able to settle a dispute amongst yourselves. Aren't there people competent within your church to work this out for you, to help you with it, rather than going to a non-Christian court. Now, in some cases, that may be necessary, but that's a last resort. Then Matthew 18 talks about the need for accountability to make sure that things work out the way that they should. So peacemaking gives us three chances. In the way I respond, how does that bring honour and glory to God? reflecting God in what way does it serve the other person and in what way am I becoming more like Jesus in the way that I handle it Proverbs says we're to trust God let love and faithfulness never leave you bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Never let love and faithfulness leave you. We are to glorify God, we are to trust God in a context. But also we are to obey God. Scripture says, and this is my prayer, Jesus prayed this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Sorry, Paul prayed this so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Now notice what it says there, that we need love to be able to discern what is best. If I'm hostile and angry and upset with a person, I'm not too loving. Now I had a situation when we lived in Sydney and three men had conspired together to do something which was illegal. They had milked three funds and put those funds together into one heap to try and prove that they had enough money to do X. I get a call from the bank manager from Westpac. 
And he says, Keith, he said, are you the CEO at Emmaus? I said, yes. And you're the principal? Yes. He said, look, we need to talk. So I go up there after lunch to talk to the bank manager. So he says to me, Keith, he says, how much money have you got in your working account? And I knew almost to the cent and told him. He said, how much money have you got in the building fund? I could tell him. How much money have you got in the library fund? I could tell him. How much money have you got in the investment account? I said, I'm not sure. I've never seen a statement. He says, all of those funds have been milked. You've got no money. Now, the building fund was a tax-deductible fund. The library fund was a tax-deductible fund. And three men had conspired together to put those funds together to do a particular project which had not been approved by the Emmaus Ball or anybody else. Now, what would you do if, if you were me? Or if you're the Westpac manager? He said to me, OK, Keith, he said, you've got until Friday to see those monies returned. Otherwise, I need to report Emmaus to the authorities. So I was thinking when I left and went back to Emmaus, I thought, who on earth would do something like that? And um, I thought rather unkindly about some people and rang the first person and he was one of the culprits. And by Friday, the three accounts had been reimbursed like they should have been, but not the investment account. That only came back in dribs and drabs. It was over 100 grand and came back in 5,000 and 10,000 lots for the next few years. But how am I to feel towards those men who did wrong? Because I was upset and I was angry. If we'd been reported to the authorities, it would be my head on the block as the CEO. So how do you feel towards people like that? They're Christians. They were leaders in their church. So the Bible says we're to pray for our enemies. And I can tell you, you cannot remain hostile towards people like that if you're going to pray for them. We ended up coming back to Victoria sometime after that, years after that. And I'd learned that one of those men was actually very ill, terminally ill. And we happened to be in Sydney, so I went to visit him and knocked on his door. And uh, he came to the door and he says, why on earth are you here? didn't expect to see you at my door. I said, oh, I've come to pray for you. I understand you're not well. This when his wife was standing beside him. They wouldn't let me in to come and pray with him. Now, I came away feeling sad for that man. I had no idea how I'd react, but I just felt sad. Here was a person who wouldn't let someone pray for them. Sad. Now, I have no idea if he'll be in heaven or not. That's God's job to decide that. But we're to obey God. That's the important thing. And also, we're to imitate God. Scripture says, Follow Christ's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, that can be a big ask for us. Follow Christ's example. Because that's what we're called to do. 
I'm to imitate Jesus in the midst of conflict. How did Jesus react when he's arrested? You know, Peter chops off a guy's ear and Jesus heals it. Before Pilate, and they're making all these accusations, what does he do? He keeps quiet. He doesn't say boo. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't justify himself. He just keeps quiet. And I can tell you that can be hard. I've sat in a room where one person stood up and just yelled at me about all sorts of things, very abusive. Then a second one stood up and then a third one. Now how do you respond to that? Well I just did what Jesus said, I just kept quiet. One of the other persons in the room just says, I can't believe it, he's not saying anything. See, if Jesus had said something, it wouldn't have changed anything. It wouldn't have changed their hostility. That's how we're called to imitate Jesus. But then more than that, we need to acknowledge God. When Peter writes, he talks about being in a hostile environment and says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. One of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. So when you're under the hammer, under pressure, in the way that you respond, are you gentle? Why are you like a raging bull? It says here we're to do respond with gentleness and respect. Because I'm not better than the other person. I'm not better than those guys who did the wrong thing with that money. Like them, I'm a sinner. Gentleness and respect. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. Went on to say, Love your neighbours as yourself. That's what Jesus asked us to do. We need to serve others. Philippians opens with the fact we're to put the interests of other people above our own interests. And that can be hard. It can be very hard. When those three men stood up and abused me that particular night, whose interests are we going to serve? Because they were way off. They weren't behaving like Christians, that's for sure. We'd have put the interests of other people above our own. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. He didn't consider his own rights, his prestige, his position, to hang on to that tenaciously. No, no. He let all of that go and humbled himself and became obedient to death, death on the cross. 
He had our interests rather than his own at the forefront. Galatians talks about and Peter talks about what are their needs? How can I best serve these people, this person, this group? And in what way can I model Jesus to them? Then the challenge is that we're to become like Christ. You know, God's work in our lives is to make us more and more like Jesus. So in what way am I different today than I was 12 months ago? In what way am I more like Christ or less like him? What changes there have been in my attitude, in my thinking patterns, in my behaviour? To what degree am I like Jesus? Psalm 119 says, I obey your word. Are we transparent? Are we determined to do that? And so are we going to glorify God in the hurly-burly of life? Are we going to serve others? Are we going to become like Jesus? You know, this morning as we shared in communion, it reminds us that Christ died for us to unite us together, those who are far away and those who are close, to bring us together as one. Scripture says as we take the bread that we who are many are actually one. It's a testament to our unity, our oneness in the Lord Jesus. No wonder this morning, when you took your piece of bread, was it a testament to your unity, your oneness with fellow Christians, with your kids, your spouse? Or were you eating a lie? Because as we take the bread, it says it's a symbol that I'm at one with my fellow believers in Christ. And as we take the cup, it reminds us that Christ made peace by the blood of his cross. So scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus was a peacemaker. He came to bring peace when we're enemies of God in what way do you want to be like Jesus what's going to be your response if you'd like to chat to me or some of the leaders of the church after the service is um, finished be happy to sit with you or someone else will and to pray with you and to help you let's pray Father, we thought about this morning the need to confess to you the ways that we behave and that are really not like Christians. That often the attitudes and actions and so on, our thoughts, the anger that we harbour is less than Christian. We ask for your forgiveness in that. We pray that we might own what Jesus has done, that he is our peace. Help us to be peacemakers that bring honour and glory to you. Give us help in our conflicts that we might have you at the forefront and obey you and submit to you. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.